This is Mayo Clinic Talks, a curated weekly podcast for physicians and healthcare providers. I'm your host, Daryl Chutka, a general internist at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. Medication use in the elderly is very common. Despite representing approximately 13% of our U.S. population, the elderly are the recipients of over one-third of all of our prescription medications and at least 40 to 50% of our over-the-counter drugs. Because medication use is so common in this age group, multiple issues result, including cost, compliance, and safety. Today, we'll be discussing medication use in the elderly and deprescribing with Dr. Emily Holm and Dr. Audrey Umbright, both pharmacists at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. Welcome. Hello. Thank you for having us. Sure. This is an interesting topic. Um, The elderly do get a lot of our prescriptions. So what are some of the problems that result from that? Well, there are many problems that can result from multiple medication use in the elderly population. And first of all, as you had mentioned, many um, of our older adults do take many medications. One study actually found that um, over half of older adults are actually taking a potentially inappropriate medication. And this inappropriate medication use can lead to an increased risk for adverse drug events hospitalizations, um, increased risk for drug interactions, non-adherence with medications. And then also, too, when we're thinking about the elderly, a lot of the things that we call normal aging or that we write off as just part of being an old person can actually be side effects to medications. Things like mental status changes, delirium, falls, weakness, uh, urinary incontinence can all be caused by drug side effects in a lot of cases. So these side effects are often very subtle. I've had an elderly practice for years, and uh, what I've noticed is you really have to pay attention to anything that's different. Uh, It's not like a younger person who may get a little GI upset or a skin rash. Uh, The elderly may stop eating or drinking. Right. A lot of times uh, side effects come across differently than they would in a younger population. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I've seen the term failure to thrive, which I think was taken out of the uh, pediatric uh, practice uh, applied to the elderly. They just don't seem to do as well. Yep. Well, why are the elderly more likely to experience adverse effects? It seems like a patient who's older is going to have an adverse effect more commonly than a younger person. Why is that? Well, I think our um, elderly folks are not necessarily more at risk for having an adverse effect, but there are a certain amount of physiological changes that happen um, with the body as we age, and those changes do affect the way that drugs are processed by our body. So, for example, our kidney function declines as we get older, and as you know, a lot of medications are cleared through the kidneys. Um, So renally eliminated medications might have a prolonged half-life in the body, um, and that can lead to an increased risk for uh, side effects. Sometimes uh, elderly folks need dosing frequencies that are um, less frequent than than other adults. Um, Also, our liver function can decline. Um, So medications that are hepatically metabolized might also either not be activated to their active metabolites or they might be uh, metabolized at a slower rate so that they are cleared from the body again uh, slower. And then finally, 
our uh, total body water decreases as we get older and the total amount of protein available in our body also decreases and that plays a role in the drug distribution mm -hmm. of a lot of medications. Um, and then finally, the blood-brain barrier permeability is also altered as we age and so more drugs are able to cross over into the central nervous system and, and sometimes cause more, more side effects. Sure. So medications that have the risk of producing uh, confusion uh, if they cross the blood-brain barrier fairly easily, uh, someone who has some degree of cognitive impairment may actually suffer a great deal from a medication like that. Yep, you're exactly mm -hmm. right. A common one that uh, we see actually is uh, diphenhydramine or Benadryl sure. can cause a lot of memory impairment in the elderly. Yeah. You mentioned some of the pharmacokinetic changes that occur, and I think another one is an increased amount of uh, lipid av availability. So you have a lipid-soluble drug like our older benzodiazepines, and those drugs last a long time in yes. some of our older patients. Yes, and especially those then that are metabolized by the liver too. So you, mm -hmm. um, you know, add that on top of things. So something like clonazepam can really have an extended half-life. Sure, and take a drug that has active metabolites and you're promoting the effect even longer. Exactly. All right. Well, I've heard the term prescribing cascade. Um, how does that apply to our elderly patients? So a prescribing cascade is basically giving a patient a drug. The patient has an adverse drug event from that drug, but that is interpreted as a new condition. So then you add another drug to treat that condition, and it just keeps going on. So an example that I've seen before is, you know, patient self-treats with some ibuprofen for an ache or a pain comes to see their primary care provider, has some swelling in their ankles, or maybe has some higher blood pressure because of that, and maybe a diuretic is added on to treat the swelling and to bring that blood pressure down. Then the next thing we have is either the patient could have a lower blood pressure, so they could possibly fall, or now we have a situation where they have low potassium. Then we add a potassium supplement, then after that, maybe they get acid reflux. So then we add on another drug to treat that. And so it's something that we do see in the clinic quite frequently um, when we're going through our medication assessments. Yeah. One of the worst examples of that that I've seen in the past is a patient who was prescribed a medication that had anticholinergic activity, caused a dry mouth. When you've got a dry mouth, you tend not to eat or drink. Mm -hmm. And when you don't eat or drink, you lose weight. When that patient came back, the provider assumed that patient was depressed, put her on an antidepressant, oh boy. <laughs> who experienced adverse effects from that. So it, 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 you're right, it can go on and on and on. Uh, now to balance that though, I've been in practice long enough to know that we've got a lot of medications that we didn't have in the past. You know, great drugs to treat osteoporosis, elevated lipids, uh, elevated blood pressure. So we need to balance that, and elderly have chronic conditions, mm -hmm. so they're gonna get started on these medications, but we need to be careful to make an accurate diagnosis, I think, before we treat symptoms, and that's what I see yeah. happening often. Absolutely, one of the things that I always say is, you know, think drugs before making a new diagnosis when it comes to your elderly patients. Right, and drugs are the frequent cause of problems. Um, I remember when I, again, when I was a resident, I had a consultant, uh, when we'd get a patient who came in like 12, 15 drugs, he would say, go in, stop five, any five. <laughs> and uh, odds are the patient would probably get better. Well, we talked a little bit about the pharmacokinetic changes. What about pharmacodynamics? How does that change as we get older? 
Yeah, so um, the pharmacodynamics is referring to how the drug exerts its effect on the body. So there's usually fewer pharmacodynamic changes, um, but patients might respond differently than we would have expected um, otherwise. And some classic examples are with the central nervous system medications, um, you know, antidepressants, et cetera. So elderly may experience a greater drug effect mm -hmm. in many instances. I suspect in most cases it's greater rather than less. Yes. Uh, in fact, I can't think of any instances where it is less off the top I of my head. Either. Mm -hmm. And so. you know, and it is related, you know, back to that pharmacokinetics too. I mean, the pharmacodynamics and pharmacokinetics are related. If we're, you know, slowing up metabolism, mm -hmm. which either the drug is going to be accumulating, then that is ultimately going to change the, dyna the, the dynamic of what the drug is sure. doing to the body. Okay. I've heard the term polypharmacy. How does that apply to our elderly patients? So when it comes to the definition of polypharmacy, there's actually no standard definition. Typically, um, we do say that it is the use of multiple medications to treat one single condition. When you look at clinical trials, most commonly the definition is being on five or more medications. Um, and kind of some of the causes of polypharmacy can include multiple conditions, which our elderly patients are more likely to have, multiple prescribers, especially if we're seeing specialists and you have your primary care provider, multiple pharmacies. I know some of my patients, you know, get cheaper insulin at other pharmacies, so they kind of split that up. And then finally, um, self-treatment with OTC medications and supplements. Yeah. Supplements is a big thing. Mm -hmm. They promote conditions on TV and the radio for things that we really don't do a great job of controlling, but they make these wild claims that I think a lot of our elderly patients are taking various nutritional supplements. Yes, you're right. And a lot of those nutritional supplements don't necessarily have the same safety or efficacy data that prescription medications right. do. And even over-the-counter drugs. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think patients assume that if something is over-the-counter, it is completely safe and only the prescription drugs are the ones they need to worry about. But we look at what's been uh, released as over-the-counter, we, they were prescription drugs, you know, mm -hmm. H2 antagonists, proton pump inhibitors, uh, non-sedating antihistamines, those are all prescription drugs at one time. Yep, even the NSAIDs and yeah. Tylenol mm -hmm. at one right. point. Today's podcast is sponsored by Mayo Clinic's online CME. Go to ce.mayo.edu slash online CME to see the full list of course offerings. Join us weekly here at Mayo Clinic Talks as we discuss best practices and burning questions. Subscribe today using Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever app you're currently using. Well, let's talk about compliance, because if you've got a patient who's taking a large number of medications, uh, compliance becomes an issue. Do elderly have bigger problems with compliance than younger patients? Well, absolutely. Medication adherence is a problem for all of our patients. Um, just to give you kind of an idea of how big of a problem this is, one study showed that only about a third of patients who are discharged from the hospital after having a COPD exacerbation actually 
pick up their prescription for their inhaler at a pharmacy. So it's a big problem. But um, as we were alluding to, elderly patients uh, do have some additional considerations that make it even harder for them to take their medications as prescribed. Things like a fixed income, uh, mobility issues, um, having multiple chronic conditions to balance, um, cognitive decline could also play a role. Um, and so it just makes the, the issue of adherence that much more uh, mm -hmm. complicated. Well, I know there was a study done several years ago now by the company that made Alendronate. Uh, they were concerned because the compliance with that medicine was so low. It was mm -hmm. like 20% after one year. And um, very similar findings with statins. Mm -hmm. And I think the common theme is medications that don't make patients feel better uh, we need to do a better job mm -hmm. about explaining why they're taking them because the most we can hope for is they don't feel worse. Right, they're not going to sure. feel better taking a medication to lower their cholesterol. All right, let's talk about tips for improving compliance. What can we do to help our patients take their medications correctly? Okay, well absolutely keeping the medication list as short as possible. So if you don't need a medication to treat a condition, don't, don't prescribe one um, because that will definitely help our patients. Um, but also thinking about once daily dosing of medications wherever possible is helpful um, because the adherence to medications uh, decreases exponentially for each time uh, that a patient has to take an additional dose during the day. Um, always considering medication cost when prescribing is important. Um, a lot of our electronic health records now have tools that help us check a patient's insurance formulary to see if medications are covered uh, before starting a medication. And then uh, also using a shared decision-making approach. You had mentioned uh, patients not understanding you know, what the medication is for, um, but really if we um, approach uh, prescribing medications from a perspective of, you know, sharing that decision with the patient, giving the patient a little bit more control over their health. Um, they have a lot bigger buy-in in, in terms of taking that medication long-term. And then finally, especially for our elderly patients, there are some pharmacies that offer what's called compliance packaging, where they put all of a patient's pills into one kind of little bubble pack um, that uh, just maps it out really easily for the patient to take uh, their medication at a specific time. Like blister packs that are used mm -hmm. in the hospital? Exactly. Mm -hmm. And just to kind of add to that, at least what I have found during visits with patients, sometimes I, I see patients and I see their med list and I think, well, you know, what am I going to do for this patient? But then as we get into the visit and we kind of figure out that patient's medication experience, you know, how they feel about their medications, we start to find out um, things about their adherence and maybe why or why not they want to take something or they don't want to take something. And there have been several times where the patient has been on a medication for a number of years and I'm the first person to tell them about the med, like how it works, why it works, and what are, you know, what the evidence behind that medication. And I think, you know, that's a, an important part of our visit with patients as pharmacists is really giving patients that education so they can kind of, you know, empower themselves with that knowledge so they can make those decisions sure. about their meds. Well, I know for many of our elderly patients, cost is the big hurdle mm -hmm. in terms of them deciding to take this medication. And I know what some of mine have done is to take their tablets and break them in half mm -hmm. and assume that, well, I'll get at least half of the dose in. That'll stretch it out for twice as long. First of all, I'm, I'm nervous in them doing that because I'm afraid they're going to take some time-release medication, um, maybe open up the little capsules and sprinkle it in uh, half of it in uh, yogurt. Uh, can that be harmful? 
Absolutely. Um, splitting medications that are not meant to be split can have negative um, impacts, like you had mentioned. You're destroying potentially a timed release uh, mechanism. But I think the even bigger um, concern, the bigger safety issue is if you're doing that and your doctor doesn't know that, right. or if uh, the medical record reflects that you're still taking a whole tablet, what happens then when you go into the hospital and you're not able to, to say what you're actually taking? We're going to assume that you're taking a bigger dose than you are. And if that dose hadn't been effective, we might increase that dose um, to something higher. And then all of a sudden, we've really way overdosed you. Sure. Um, so it's really important um, to have good communication with your with your provider if uh, about your medications and, and to be honest, frankly, about what you're actually doing with your medications. If you're taking half tablets, tell your doctor. Mm -hmm. it's super important. Yeah. So how do we determine if a medication is a risky drug or not? We don't know. So how do, right. how do, we, how do we help <laughs> our patients by engaging pharmacists? Right. Well, there, there are expert reviews published um, to provide guidance basically based on drug side effects, the method of drug metabolism and elimination, and potential for drug interaction. So one of those published guidelines would be the Beers criteria. Mm -hmm. We also use the stop and start. That's a little bit of a newer one. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the Beers list, uh, Dr. Mark Beers put that together. Uh, there have been several revisions. I think the first one came out in the mid-1980s. Mm -hmm. And that, describe that, because uh, that one uh, I think is fairly well known. Yeah, so now it's updated and maintained by the American Geriatric Society. So the most recent update was in 2019 by a panel of 13 experts. And it basically, it's a list of medications based on expert opinion that are considered potentially inappropriate for the use in the elderly population, either due to an increased risk for harm or due to a lack of established benefit or evidence. Mm -hmm. okay. And I will add that, um, you know, it's based on expert opinion, but those experts reviewed tons and tons of clinical trials um, to arrive at their opinion. Mm -hmm. Okay. So let's talk about deprescribing. Let's say we've got a patient on 18 different medications. How do we go about this concept of deprescribing? Okay, well first, um, deprescribing itself is a systematic process of identifying medications to discontinue uh, for a patient in the case where existing or potential harm will outweigh the existing or potential benefit of the medication uh, for an individual patient. Um, so essentially there are five steps that we would take um, to go through the deprescribing de process. Yep. So typically, this is going to take place um, in a pharmacy visit. So we would do like a comprehensive medication review. Our, we're allowed to have 60 minutes with a patient. So it's plenty of time to go over those big medication lists. And it is a, a positive patient-centered approach. Um, it requires um, shared decision-making, informed patient consent, and close monitoring after. So the step number one that we would take is, uh, first of all, gathering an accurate medication list. Um, we have to start with um, making sure that we know exactly what the patient is taking and why. 
Um, and then secondly, we want to consider the overall risk that this individual patient has for drug-induced harm. Um, so some of those things that can contribute to individual risk are the types of medications that the patient is on, um, if they're on multiple high-risk medications. Although the number one predictor of risk for medication harm is the number of medications on that list. So the more meds, uh, the more risk there is. And then step three, we're going to assess each individual drug for potential future benefit and for potential future harm or burden. Now you wouldn't believe when we have patients bring in all of their meds, we mean all of their meds, mm -hmm. all of their per prescription meds, all of their OTCs, all their vitamins, their supplements. It's pretty eye-opening when we have patients bring in bags and bags of medications into our visit. But that's the most accurate way yes. of oh, knowing absolutely. what they're yep. taking. So, you know, a little, a part of the visit as well is going through each one of those and assessing, like, are they regularly taking this or is this just kind of up on the refrigerator for, mm -hmm. you know, a rainy day? Um, and then once we get the most accurate list we can come up with, then really we want to look at each medication on an individual basis to assess the indication, the effectiveness, the safety, and really how the patient is taking that medication. Um, you know, from that, we're able to make that initial list of medications that we could possibly start that deprescribing process. So then we'd want to prioritize which medications we want to stop. Very rarely are you able to um, completely discontinue all the medications you'd want to stop in one visit. Um, so you'd want to put those medications to the top of the list that have a higher risk for causing harm or those that are just low-hanging fruit. You know, it's easier to discontinue a, a multivitamin, for example, than it would be to taper off an antidepressant. And then kind of that last step, step five, is going ahead and implementing this discontinuation regimen. Um, we always like to stop one drug at a time, like Audrey said, just because kind of in the elderly population, when we start medications, it's kind of a start low, go slow, kind of the same thing when we get rid of medications. Um, after that, we want to make sure that we have a good follow-up plan, especially if we're going to implement more um, drug discontinuations as we go along. We want to communicate this plan with the rest of the healthcare team, and then one of the most important things is to document it very clearly in the chart. That way, if the patient ends up having some sort of issue with going off the med or ends up going home and then calling back later, anyone that they get on the phone with it can clearly read back that plan to the patient as well as for their other prescribers. So to summarize deprescribing, we first need to know what medications our patients are taking. Mm -hmm. We need to look at the medications they are taking and uh, decide which ones have the greatest potential for good, which ones have the greatest potential for harm. Uh, then decide which ones we can safely discontinue, stop one at a time, and then we probably need to convince the patient that this is a good yes. idea, because mm -hmm. I know them they're taking a lot of nutritional supplements. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes it takes a bit of uh, discussion to do that. Yeah. yeah, definitely sprinkled in with this whole process is having that uh, communication and shared decision-making process with the patient. Great. Well, we've been discussing medication use in the elderly and deprescribing with Dr. Emily Holm and Dr. Audrey Umbright, both pharmacists at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. Thank you both for coming and sharing your uh, knowledge with us today. Thanks. It was Thank a pleasure. You. This was so much fun. Join us here weekly at Mayo Clinic Talks. You can now access and listen to over 100 different podcasts. 
covering a variety of medical topics pertinent to the primary care provider. You can hear us at ce.mayo.edu, iTunes, or your favorite podcasting app. If you've enjoyed Mayo Clinic Talks podcasts, please subscribe. Stay healthy and see you next week.